The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip went and found Nathanael and said to him, we've found the one about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus from Nazareth. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said, now here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said, how'd you come to know about me? And Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even called you. And Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, do you believe this because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And then he said, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. I wonder when I hear this bit of John's Gospel, why we never hear about doubting Nathaniel. We know about doubting Thomas, most of us, right? He's the one who gets a bad rap for not believing in Jesus after the resurrection until he could see and touch and feel and um, all the wounds from Jesus' crucifixion. Even for people who don't know the story, doubting Thomas is a thing, right? We know what it means to be a doubting Thomas, to not believe something that someone has shared or said or told you. I suspect the reason doubting Nathaniel never caught on was because his doubts came so early on in the story. Nathaniel hadn't witnessed yet all that Thomas had seen by the time Thomas's doubts about Jesus were revealed. I mean, Thomas had seen the water become wine. Thomas had seen some miraculous healings. Thomas knew about Lazarus being raised from the tomb. Thomas was at the Last Supper, and so on, and so on. So I suppose Thomas is more infamous for his doubts because Thomas should have known better. But Nathaniel, Mr. Can-anything-good-come-out-of-Nazareth, didn't have the benefit of all that history and experience with Jesus yet. This little bit from John's Gospels in chapter 1. Things are just getting started. All the soon-to-be disciples knew at this point is what had been written by Moses in the law through the prophets and so on about this guy that they had yet to meet. So as far as Nathaniel's concerned, I like to consider that Philip probably knew a thing or two about Nathaniel when he decided to tell him about this Jesus that he and Peter and Andrew and the others had just been introduced to. After all, the story says Philip found Nathaniel. Not that he bumped into him on the street corner. Not that he ran into him on the side of the road or somewhere else. Not that Nathaniel came to him for something. It says, Philip found Nathaniel, which makes me think they had a history together, that they were probably friends somehow, some way. And I wonder if Philip knew then that his buddy Nathaniel was going to react in just exactly the way he did, doubtful, skeptical, cynical. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I wonder if Philip knew that Nathaniel was a hard nut to crack, that maybe Nathaniel was lonely or grieving or 
stewing about something in particular underneath that fig tree that day. And that that's exactly why Philip set out to find his friend and to tell him about this Jesus. And I wonder if Philip, too, was tired of debating Scripture, studying all those prophets and everything Moses had to say, dissecting whatever rumors were probably circulating around Galilee. I wonder if he just couldn't wait to tell Nathaniel those sweet, simple, inviting words, we found this Jesus. It's happened. He's for real. It's true. Come and see. He's not threatening his friend. He's not challenging him. He's not setting up a debate. He doesn't judge Nathaniel for whatever doubts Nathaniel has either. He just says, come and see. And Nathaniel goes. And Nathaniel finds, it seems, what he didn't think he would. The son of God, the king of Israel, he says, much to his apparent suspicion and surprise. And this story is nothing more and nothing less than a picture of what gracious faithful evangelism looks like for my money. See, this story actually begins a couple verses prior to what we just heard when Andrew and Peter share what they know with Philip. Before Philip finds Nathaniel, Jesus is the one who starts this come and see thing. No threats, no judgment, no fear, no double dog dares, just a sweet, simple, holy invitation to come and see. And that's all evangelism and sharing our faith require, I believe. Come and see. It's not judgment. It's not fearful. It's not if you don't come, if you don't see, if you don't believe all the things that I believe in the same way that I believe them, then you're doomed for all eternity. It's come and see. Because this grace is for you. It will bless you. It will surprise you in amazing, worthwhile ways. Come and see because you won't believe it if I told you anyway. Come and see because there aren't enough words to describe this kind of love, this sort of forgiveness, this abundance of God's goodness. Come and see it for yourself. But we're timid about that, a lot of us, right? Some of us are out of practice some of us have never had the chance to warm up. Some of us might just as soon hang out with Nathaniel under a fig tree somewhere with our questions and our doubts, not sure what it is we're supposed to go look for. And I get that. I can get pretty comfortable under my own fig tree now and again, too. So I often ask when talking about this very churchy thing called evangelism, when was the last best movie you've seen? Or what was the last good book that you read? And those questions usually set people loose with conversation because when we see a really good movie, whether it made us laugh our heads off or cry our eyes out, we like to tell other people about that thing, right? Or when we've read a really good book, we like to tell someone about this good book that we've read and maybe even give them the book so that they can read it too. My point is, we're more timid or shy or uncertain and unconvinced when it comes to talking about our faith with the same ease or energy or enthusiasm with which we can share about a really good book or the best movie we've seen. Maybe we think we have to have all the right answers. Maybe we're afraid we might offend someone. 
Maybe we're reluctant to reveal too much about ourselves in conversations about our faith. Maybe we just don't want to look or sound or be like one of those Christians. But today's gospel makes this very easy, I think. Philip doesn't answer questions. He doesn't say anything that could possibly offend his friend. And all he seems to reveal about himself is that he's on the same sort of journey. He doesn't pretend to prove anything. And neither does Jesus. Just come and see. And so at least this morning, all we're called to do is invite. Come and see. And we have a lot to show people in this place about this movement of grace that we are up to, I'm glad to say. Come and see a family of faith that's teaching generosity to our kids by way of over $7,500 in offerings just last month that those kids have used to give the simple gift of life-giving water to kids and families and communities in our own country and around the world. Come and see it. Come and see a place and a people who are wrestling with the hard work of racial justice and LGBTQ equity and inclusion in the middle of a community and a culture that will not do that work in so many ways. Come and see by sitting in an adult forum or showing up for a midweek Bible study what it means to struggle and wrestle with and learn from Scripture together. Come and see on any given Sunday because everyone's welcome here. Through the waters of baptism and at the table of Holy Communion too, where we eat bread, where we drink wine, and where we are filled up with the fullness of God's forgiveness and mercy and love with no strings attached. Come and see it. Speaking of movies, the last good movie I've seen was the new musical version of The Color Purple, because Oprah. <laughs> the name of Alice Walker's novel, on which the first movie and this recent musical are based, The Color Purple, comes from a simple, profound line in the book where Suge Avery says to Celie, I think it pisses God off if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. I think it pisses God off if you walk by the color purple and don't notice it. I think our call as followers of Jesus, as believers in God, as recipients of this amazing grace that we claim, is simply to notice it, to celebrate it, to give thanks to the God who so generously shares it with us, too. And I think we're called to invite others to come and see it just as well, to notice it, to share it right along with us, not just because maybe it pisses God off if we don't, but because we're blessed and better. Our lives and the world change for good when we realize that it's not ours at all, this grace. It is God's. And God does give it freely and abundantly for all the world. Amen.